Up next, a practical and informative examination of the second of three running foundations, strength and mobility, and a quick look at track and field's fight for survival this summer. Information about the world of running, inspiration to fuel passion and excellence, and ideas for making connections and finding community. You're listening to A to Z Running. Hello, everyone. You're listening to the 40th episode of the A to Z Running Podcast. A to Z Running Podcast turns 40. Woohoo! I'm Andy. And Zach. And we had a fabulous weekend. I hope you all did too. It was sunny, like super sunny all day, every day. So we spent a lot of time. We're, at the we're pool. speaking from West Michigan here. Yeah, so we're speaking from West Michigan. 90 degrees, sunny, and humid. Yes. Hot. So we have access to a pool. And it was fantastic. And I need to mention, because we got these really awesome sunglasses from Knockaround. And we're kind of There are Knockarounds. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. I actually don't know what you mean by that. Knockaround sunglasses. They're like the casual, you know, I just throw them on when I need some sunglasses, Uh, toss them in my bag. That's that's why they named the company Knockaround. Wait, you didn't know that? Brilliance. Brilliant. Now she knows. Well, I have to say, I, these are fast lane ones, uh, and I, we customize them to A to Z running colors. Custom fast lanes. Yeah. And they actually stayed in my head all day long, and I didn't get a headache. While you were in the pool. I did. Yeah, I did some aqua jogging. So I, every day I did some pool. aqua jogging. Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, thanks to Knockaround for sending us these. If you have a company and you'd like us to try something of yours, please do send us uh, a note, and we'd love to try it. And here's the thing, for anyone who's looking for a sweet pair of shades that are, you know, they're stylish and functional at the same time, um, I ran an hour in these in the 90 degree humidity just a little while ago after, before recording this episode. And um, my eyes did not fog up at any point in time, which matters because every run in 90 degrees in humidity, your eyes get foggy. Didn't happen with those on and they didn't slip or slide or anything. I didn't have to like push them up or anything like yeah, that the whole time. And they're 30 bucks. We customize them. 30 bucks 30 for bucks. custom sunglasses. Sweet We're going to link to them uh, in the podcast associated with this episode, which is a to z running.com slash episode 40. Good stuff. So Andy, have you been enjoying the aqua jogging or do you hate it? Uh, I don't mind the aqua jogging because there's been a lot of activity in the pool because I obviously have two kids and we've had, my mom's been around, cousins have been around. Um, so yeah, I've kind of enjoyed it. It's a long time to be in the water because I'm trying to go over an hour every time I go. But I have noticed a couple things that I wanted to share with all of you that have made it harder, uh, which that was kind of uh, an obstacle for me because my heart rate- better. Faster, stronger. <laughs> Our, my heart rate wasn't getting high enough. Um, so, yeah, I'll first bring my hands out of the water for some intervals, just uh, just up by my head. And then to make it even harder, I put my hands over my head for intervals. And that so, seems to help me stay engaged. She's not treading water either. She's just doing running motion. I've tried this before. I actually literally cannot keep myself above water while keeping my hands in the water moving. So when she does that, I don't even understand how I'm she I'm getting ready drown. for some water polo. That's what, that's what I'm doing. If running doesn't work okay. out, I'm going to try some water polo. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that is a joke. So hopefully getting back to training sometime soon. Yeah. Hopefully. I hope so. And um, for my part, I'm, I am running again, and I'm going to be get back into full, full base training here in the next week or two as I build back up into it, which is relevant because the kind of running and training that I'm doing right now, 
very directly mirrors what we were just talking about last week. So um, we have, this is now part two, this episode, part two of our Running Foundations three-part series. Now, there's a slight pivot. So Andy and I were in conversation. We were chatting last week about this endeavor we have of trying to establish these foundations. And um, we're working on the material that we're going to then publish and make available to you all after the three episodes are done. And we we have a slight pivot because we were talking about it in terms of training foundations last week and how to be a successful runner. And we've realized that it's really not exactly that. So we've, we've shifted it to the phrase running foundations captures a little bit better because it's not just about training. And we, we really aren't trying to talk about how to be successful as much as how to be a thriving mm-hmm. runner. Yeah. And so that's the slight pivot. And if you notice the verbiage or terminology changing uh, this week from last week, either way, go back and listen to last week's episode. It's solid stuff. We talked about aerobic condition and the essential. So aerobic conditioning is the essence of distance running, period, point blank. And what that really truly means, and I think um, I probably can even better clarify a point that I was making last week too, but it's, it's not necessarily the only thing that you do as a runner, um, but it is the most important thing to do as a runner. It's the most consistent factor across all levels. You know, everyone's doing aerobic conditioning and everyone's doing a lot of it across all levels. And it's the most predictive of success and improvement. You know, the more time you can spend healthily engaging in high quality aerobic training, the more likely you are to be successful and improve. And, you know, we're talking about trying to be a thriving runner. If you want to enjoy running, Good aerobic conditioning matters a lot. So um, I, I wanted to mention that it also is, it's a keen reflection on that we didn't get into the science much, but if it's helpful for you all as you're thinking about this, like why is aerobic conditioning so important um, at the science level, you know, at the physiological level, um, certainly, you know, at the longer distances, it's efficiency in your slow twitch muscle fibers. That's, that's what you need to be able to do longer distance as well. So we're talking about fueling and we're talking about energy output and cardiovascular capacity. And all of those things are influenced by aerobic training. So long sustained aerobic running, uh, lays down new capillary beds, which is cardiovascular capacity. Um, and then of course the fueling side of things, you're training your body to be able to use your fuel sources more efficiently and better when you're doing the long aerobic running, which all of that you need. And then of course, energy energy output because you want to be able to put out strongly late in a run. And so you need to be able to train that with repetition quite a bit. Also, it's it's an important reflection that anaerobic capacity matters in a lot of ways, but even like you think about like shorter distance racing where you're more anaerobic all the time, your aerobic capacity still matters because your anaerobic capacity only ever exists as up to a maximum percent of your aerobic capacity. So here it is for you, Andy. You can train anaerobically infinitely. You can do it all the time, but it will never be more than a certain percent of your aerobic capacity. Mm -hmm. And so if you never do anything aerobically, you'll probably get slower by just training anaerobically, believe it or not. Um, Now I say probably because- It'd be really hard to train just anaerobically. It would be. It would be very difficult. But people do it because that's that's like HIIT workouts and those kinds of things. Uh, You know, that's all anaerobic work. And so if that's the only kind of work that you do- 
you're not training your aerobic system. Mm-hmm. So yeah, as it, you know, and that's different for every athlete as term in terms of what percent it is, but it is only ever just a percent of. So what is it that all of us need to be doing when we're thinking about training to enjoy running, to thrive, and of course to also be successful? And if you have goals to try to achieve your goals, the foremost thing you need to be thinking about is how to train aerobically at the highest possible quality. Yeah. And the reward of that is getting to race. And I do want to mention that we do have discount codes for two races right now. We have the Riverbank Run. Uh, that's the 25. Yeah, actually, any of the races you can get a discount on. And um, we'll have that for our subscribers. So feel free to hop on over to a to zrunning.com and click follow. And you will get that discount code as Subscribing well. Subscribing is free, it's by the free. way. The only thing that the discount doesn't work for is the relay, the 25K relay. And we also have Rivertown Races discount, which is in August. That's coming up. So if you're eager to race, if you want to get something in, if you want to get kind of a benchmarker for you as you head into I'm hoping a fall season of some sort, uh, hop on over and follow as well. We will send that discount code to you. All right. Well, let's get right into this week's content. So we'll be talking in just a little bit about the second of our running foundations, Mm. strengthen the animal, which is all about strength and mobility. And we're going to get really practical. So if you want to have an idea of what does it mean to properly strengthen and mobilize as a distance runner or any kind of runner, that is coming right up after a little bit of running news. All right. Well, track meets are happening. Track is back. Even though they're like secrets. Yeah. I, so <laughs> personally, I think that is rubbish. The whole secret track meet thing is rubbish. Why? Just, just tell people we don't. We can't have crowds. We can't have crowds. Well, they should at least televise it for sure. Yes. Because there's no sports happening on TV. Nobody cares about a private secret track meet. Well, after the fact, we're all pretty intrigued. But I think yeah. a lot of us would want to watch it. I I want to watch it. I want to watch it. I think it actually helped the sport of track and field that some of these events are happening and amazing things are happening at these races. And it's just incredible to me, the resilience of these high level athletes, because Noah Lyles ran the world leading time in 9.93 in Florida at this tiny little race. And that was in a race with Gatlin and he ran 9.99. And it was wind assisted, so I should put that out there. But Trayvon Brumel, he got a PR at that same, he was third at that same nice. meet in the 100 meter, and he ran uh, 10 seconds, 0.04. And the reason why Noah Lyles is now the world leader is because the other two are the only other two people who have run. <laughs> so he's the world leader of three. And no, I'm kidding, I'm joking. But that does it does feel that way. That's, but that's a stuff. legit, that's a legit showing that's for fast. them. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but fast people can run fast, even if. Everyone else is quarantined and the meat is secret. So Shawnee Miller-Webo, she's from the Bahamas. She won gold in 2016 in the 400 meters. She, at the same small little secret Florida meet, posted a world-leading time in the 400 meter run in 50.52. That's really fast. These athletes are ready ready to start racing. It's like we've unleashed them and they're excited to go. 
Well, we're definitely seeing more and more of these kinds of things popping up. And and in other places in the world, they're actually uh, setting a schedule now of competition. So they're anticipating uh, in, in as soon as in the next couple of weeks, uh, meets are starting in different places. So Kenny Bednarik, he's an American sprinter. He's run the fourth fastest 200 meter time of all time. Um, and that was 19.49 in altitude, but he dropped a win legal world lead in the 200 meter, uh, this past week as well. And 20 seconds point oh six. solid. All right. What else? We got one more thing. USATF awarding foundation grants. Yes. Which is always exciting because these athletes are working hard to achieve their Olympic dreams. So the USATF foundation grant system was built on the idea that there's these athletes who are kind of semi-professional and many of them not even professional. And so they don't really get much money for doing the sport. But they're doing it at the highest possible level. Right, they're Olympic hopefuls. Right, they could pass. So they're trying to help them out at least a little bit. Yeah, and so the one person who is chosen for the steeplechase is Leah O'Connor. Well, she's Leah Falland now. So get to know Leah Falland as her married name. Well, there will be more and more to talk about in the world of running as these races, secret or not so secret, start opening up to athletes. Absolutely. So let's jump over to running foundation number two after this short break. All right, Andy, are you not terribly excited to talk about strength and mobility? I am because I know that I'm going to actually learn a lot. (laughs) Well, so this is one of those conversations. We love talking about this kind of stuff. And I think it's in large part because both Andy and I have been kind of since nearly since the dawn of our running lives, we have had this prioritized for us. So the, the very title of our training foundation, our running foundation number two, Strengthen the Animal, comes from Andy's experience, which you've heard her mention before. Yeah, Dave Hodgkinson was my coach in high school, and he's done collegiate coaching. He's coached Olympic trials, runners, and he told me at a very young age in high school that I needed to become a stronger animal. I just love the phrase. I love the phrase because so the aerobic conditioning thing is about specifically the training approach that is the most valuable, but the strengthening and mobility type of stuff is that's just that's the the animal nature of our bodies doing what they do as well as possible. Mm -hmm. And we got to work on it. Yeah. And it prevents injury. So not only is it helping us become the best we can be just because we'll have more power to the places that need it. But also because it can help prevent us overusing muscles that are stronger and underutilizing ones that are weaker. Yeah, really, fundamentally, the why behind why you need to, everyone must work on strength, general strength and mobility. So GSM, you'll see that abbreviation all over the place if you start Googling this kind of stuff a lot, general strength and mobility. Um, And the reason why we need to is, one, because of injury. It helps avoid injury. And so it's being proactive, but also you just, you feel better when you're running, when you're more stable, when you're more coordinated um, and and your muscles move more fluidly and all those things, just obvious. It's straightforward. It makes sense. Um, And then also, you know, in general, in life, you're not only a runner, right? I'm assuming that people listening to this do more than just run. 
And so you want the other things you're doing to have the least possible negative consequences on your running side of things too. Like you don't want to go play with your kids and then be sore for a week and, you know, not be able to run well or something like that. Or like what happened to me where this, this shin problem that I got is more than likely the result of something like running on a curve for too long. Like seriously, I'm 31 years old and my shin starts to hurt for a week because I ran on a curve for too long. Well, that means I wasn't properly addressing my foot and ankle strength and mobility. And so why do we do it? Because we want to be thriving runners. And in those ways, it Mm -hmm. helps with that. And the number one rule, the rule for strength and mobility is to do as much as possible of strength and mobility work without compromising your training, your racing goals, your general well-being and life balance. Because as Jake Riley said when he was on the episode, uh, he said you could you could probably, if you wanted to, you could probably like foam roll and do like mobility stuff all day long every day and you might never actually be hurt if you do that kind of stuff. And he didn't literally mean just that. But um, the point being, you could do nearly as much of this stuff if, as you want to and it might actually help you even more to do that. But there's a limit. So you got to find that. There's limit. a limit of time too that one yeah. has in a day. Yeah, and and there's a limit of how much is just worth your time and effort and attention. Like you, you your sanity, your sanity is important <laughs> here, and so you don't want to be all consumed with general strength and mobility all day long every day. So we're gonna try to break this down for you a little bit. Talk about the key focus areas. There are key focus areas for runners that we need to be working on very intentionally and regularly and refining a little bit of our understanding about strength and mobility in general. And I've got some work here from Jay Dickery. I've got some work from Mike Swinger, which we had him on the podcast as well. Um, so I'm going to I'm gonna talk to you about some of the people who know the science even better, the professionals in the field. Um, and then also just then what are the recommended formats for trying to do this efficiently? Like Andy said, you know, there's only so much time you're going to want to devote to this stuff for most of us, how to do that efficiently and still accomplish the best possible results here. And we've got mm-hmm. some recommendations and, and just some examples too. Mm-hmm. So if your structure isn't sound, if your structure is not set up right, if you're having a dropping hip, if you're you know running improperly because of weakness, then all of the aerobic conditioning might be just running you into the ground. Oh, into so injury. good. Thank you for saying that. I don't know why I didn't think of it. Well, maybe you haven't had two hip labrum tears, so uh, maybe I, guess, I don't know for sure, but yeah, probably. Uh, but that's it. That's exactly it. So the aerobic work is only effective when you can do it healthily, right? At a high quality for long periods of time. Like we want to get to the start line. Yeah. That's the goal, right? Yeah. We want to get to the start line. We want to be healthy. We want to have a lifelong love for running. So that is why we need to strengthen our structure. And you heard us talking a couple of weeks ago with Cody about momentum. Mm -hmm. When we were talking about how to rebuild and regain, sustain momentum, um, that matters in training enormously. And yes, small disruptions are going to happen and you can't be discouraged because it's like, oh, my momentum's broken and now everything's falling apart. You can't think that way because you have to just continue to persist. But um, we also need to do as much as possible to try to avoid those disruptions. Yeah. And I think we need to see the value that all of this has, because as someone who has come back from injuries and whatnot, it's easy to th- think like, I can't do aerobic conditioning. I'm just taking a rest. Yes. Take a rest. Mm-hmm. You need a rest. But there are these things that we can do with strength and mobility that set us up to put us on track so that when we can start running we have the proper strength and mobility to stay healthy. 
So a lot of times, I, I, I'm so guilty of this. I'm the guilty one here where I just take time off and I'm sad. I take a week off and I'm sad. And then, you know, it's not really quite better yet, but I get a little eager, a little impatient, and I start going again and have the injury pop up. Yeah. The most important time to do strength and mobility work is when you're hurt or dis- disrupted in some way, because that's that's the time when you have a little bit more time than usual, You know, if you, especially if you're not even able to cross train or something. Um, but obviously it matters what kind of injury you have and what you're able to do and all of that. I will say this, as a guiding rule for all of us, um, the, the time to start doing consistent, r- routine strength and mobility work is now it doesn't matter when you when and where you are unless you have a race in two days start doing it now but how much you do and what you do matters where you are in your training cycle so if you're close to a race you don't want to make significant changes to this kind of stuff but it still can help you even if you're a week out from a race doing some light strengthening work and just some key areas yeah like some hip activation and posterior chain activation work can immensely benefit a race even just a week out. But especially like mobility work, you got to be doing that ASAP if mm-hmm. you're not. You, We wrote a blog post and you wrote as soon as possible. <laughs> I remember you saying that. Did I? Yeah. Uh, more than likely I'll when say that every start, time. start as, as soon, soon as, as possible. possible. Yeah. And that, and that is the truth. It's just, you know, there's good and bad way to approach that, but something as soon as possible is the rule. And so we're going to give you some of those somethings right now. Okay, four focus areas. So for strength and mobility for runners, the key areas appear to be, and I am not a physical therapist. I'm not a kinesiologist. So I've, uh, as I always do, and this is this is what we try to bring to you as, as a value in our understanding of these things. We try to read as much of the material as we can. We try to talk to the experts. We get them on the podcast if we can. But our goal is to try to learn a lot of this stuff and then distill it and synthesize it. So as far as my understanding, goes and PTs out there correct me in a heartbeat if you can Um, the four key focus areas for runners for all of us in general is posterior chain number one which is you know everything from like your neck down to your heels really but the the full posterior chain so shoulders back glutes hamstrings all of that kind of stuff Um, your core which I'm defining differently than your posterior chain because we're talking about everything that wraps the core of your body, which can extend down into your hips and up all the way to your shoulders, front, back, sides, everything. Your hip and hip girdle area, so the full range of muscles and tissues that move as your hips are moving, which is super complex, mm. which we have discovered more and more about with Andy's hip pains. and So as a hip labrum tear rehabilitator, <laughs> That's a horrible way to say that. So Andy's rehabilitated these hip labrum tears in various capacities. And one of the most frustrating things is she'll feel pains and tightnesses and such in the area that aren't necessarily because of the hip labrum. Like she'll feel a hamstring pain, but it's not the same thing as the hip labrum pain, but it's like in a very similar spot. And so then, it, you know, it's confusing. So the hip is super complex. And there's a lot to be thinking about with trying to address if there's a pain there. So, yeah, um, we'll say this many times. Talk to your PT. If you've got a problem, talk to your PT. Don't try to rehabilitate on your own without knowing enough about it. Or if you do, just be cautious and still try to talk to a PT. And if you know that that there's an area of weakness but you don't have an injury yet, get the book uh, Runner's Fix by Mike Swinger. We had Mike Swinger on the podcast a while back. We'll link to that episode in the a to z running.com slash episode 40 show notes. But uh, the, his book, Runner's Fix, is the best introductory guide that I have come across to understanding what to do in these key areas 
that even if you're not sure if you have something wrong, these are good things that anyone should be doing. So it's a good starting point. Mm -hmm. So I've only gotten through three of them, posterior chain, core, hips or hip girdle area. And number four, of course, your, your foot ankle your feet and your ankles. Um, we got to be very attentive to those things because that's where the force of impact begins. And that's where the first line of entry in, in all of your muscles that respond to running. So we got to be attentive there too. You know, the saying pride comes before the fall. Pride comes before the fall. Uh, where are you going with this? I'm really curious. Because I literally thought to myself on a couple occasions, wow, I have really strong feet oh, and ankles. Man. I did. I never thought do that. that. Never do that. I was like, I don't really have to work on those. I'm curious. <laughs> would you like look down at your feet and be like, yeah, boy, <laughs> I got some strong feet. Is that what you do? No, but I have twisted my ankles on a few occasions and I can just run it off and I like don't even have hardly any like soreness mm. even from like completely rolling my ankle and like landing on the side of it. So I think thought that I was in a good spot and here I am now with a little foot injury. So if you see so. Andy running down a trail with a smirk on her face, <laughs> nodding her head like, yeah, boy, you know, she just twisted her ankle and thinks that she's invincible. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, that's actually indicative. Um, there's so many of these things. So we're not going to try to do this for everything. But like if you twist your ankles a lot and it's, you know, just kind of happens really easily, that's probably because you have weak ankles. It's, you know, it's not because you're stepping on stuff a lot. Most of the time our ankles turning easily is the result of having weakness in our ankles and it's a quickly remedied thing too um, and that's not to say that twisting your ankle automatically always means you have weak ankles especially if you run you know in trails a lot you're gonna twist your ankles i just did that yesterday that's why it came to my mind um luton park shout out all right now understanding um a little bit more about strength and mobility before we get into some of our recommendations. And I think especially formats for how to approach these things in your schedule so you can do it well. Um, so I've got, I've got Jay Dickery's book here, Running Rewired, and I highly recommend this. I mentioned Runner's Fix as like the introductory guide as far as I've experienced. Jay Dickery's work is like the next level beyond that. Like it's, it's, get both of them because you go through Mike Swinger stuff and you're like, I need something a little bit different, a little bit more, or I want to know even more in depth about some of these things. They just take a slightly different approach and it's great having both. Um, and so that's where I'm actually going to start. Here's the number one thing to understand about strengthening for runners. And this, I love it. Jay Dickery lays it out in a lot of his work. This just isn't just in this book, but he talks about strength training for system intelligence. And so I'm looking on like page 15, if you ever pull out his book and he talks about the difference between strengthening a muscle and strengthening the motion of the muscles, which is called functional movement, as many of you may know if you're familiar with these topics. So what we're trying to do as runners is we're trying to strengthen the functional movement, not just the muscle, which means the kinds of things I should be doing in almost all instances, I should be doing work that mirrors some kind of running related motion or mirrors the functional movement of a muscle group. So when I'm working on my hips, I'm, it's not like the kinds of strengthening work I'm doing with my hips is what I'm doing when I'm running. You know, I'm not doing this little duck swing foot thing while I'm running, obviously. But it's the functional movement that that muscle group performs in that area. And especially, and now I'm going to bounce over to Mike Swinger's work. He mentions this a lot in his book. Um, and in conversation, he brought it up quite a bit too. But we're trying to, when we're working on these things, we're trying to work on the full lengthening and contraction of the muscle. 
We don't want to just work on an isolated short movement. And that's where so much of like weightlifting and weight training is great for those isolated short movement and muscle groups because the principal motivation of most weight training as far as like the traditional stuff is to make your muscles bigger and like look better. And that's not what we're trying to do as runners. So functional movement, that's the key for approaching strengthening. So then for mobility, um, staying with Jay Dickery for just a moment, he breaks down mobility into three different areas. And this is really helpful as I was thinking about this and reading up and learning about over these last few years, this has been one of the most helpful concepts for me because as Mike Swinger says in Runner's Fix, not all flexibility and mobility are created equal. They're not all the same. Uh, There's different kinds of mobility and flexibility. Well, Jay Dickery provides a really simple explanation of that concept, which is three types of motion problems right? So immobility, three types of problems. Joint blockage is one. And so he actually defines this really in a helpful way. Joint blockage, you feel like when you're contracting a muscle. So think about if your knee is bending and the back of your knee feels blockage or immobility there, that's a joint blockage problem because the back of your knee getting stuck when you're contracting it is not as much related to the muscles. Like they're not short because they're short knee already. So it should be alleviating that. And then the opposite of that, when you feel tightness in a joint area, when you're elongating the muscles. So now if I'm bending my knee and the front of my knee, I feel tightness. Now that is more likely some kind of tissue length problem. So that's number two area. Short tissue length is the second one. And then the third one, which is quite a bit more pervasive and general is especially like throughout a muscle tissue. If you feel tightness throughout your quad, not just near a joint area, then it's more likely almost always, in fact, some kind of fascia problem, which means that you've got, you know, congestion between the fascia and the muscle. And the fascia's job is to just kind of flow fluidly with the muscle. But after doing some kind of hard work, the fascia gets essentially kind of like ripped up, which is very normal. This is your muscles do this too. They get ripped up a little bit and then they have to heal back together. But if they don't heal back together in that fluid pathway, then you have blockage and you need to mobilize that. So here's the three things. If you have joint blockage of some kind, the best way to mobilize it is manual manipulation. So that's where you get like you get some kind of massage or you have some kind of like ART treatment. Adam Homolka does a lot of ART work. He's certified in that. And, if and Aaron familiar, Laplander worked on me and I I had some um, yeah. joint blockage in my hips that she really helped with. Yeah. So manual manipulation is just about the only way to effectively reduce joint blockage. You can't stretch joint blockage out in most instances. Um, so even if you don't have someone to work on it for you, you can take your fingers and just work into the muscle tissues in and around surrounding the joints and such. And it can be helpful. Um, if you have a a tissue length problem, so if I try to bend my knee and I feel a lot of tightness on the front of my knee, I probably have a tissue length problem and I need to work on elongating the tissue, which is the concept of stretching. However, um, it's more complex than that. Right, because so, you don't want a static stretch. <laughs> right. Yep. And and so the only time that you want to sit and hold a stretch for a long period of time is when you need to significantly elongate a muscle tissue, but it's very destructive to the muscle muscle tissue as well. And you should never do something like that regularly in a period of aggressive training. Those two do not go hand in hand. So if you need to elongate some muscle tissue, be very careful with what you're doing in training as well, because you, you can just as easily make it even worse by running hard the day after a long stretching session. 
mm-hmm. things like that. That's kind of reminding me, and I didn't realize it then, the reasons why, but Hodge used to say not to stretch. And this is before, like, the whole, like, I think there was, like, a movement. Before it was cool. <laughs> before it was cool. He's like, because he does all the drills. Like, we didn't stretch before we ran. And right. that was the reason why is because he was attuned to all of this. But at that time, soccer teams were stretching on the field. Like, it was mm-hmm. it was the static stretch era. It was. And it was. I was always confused because he was like, no, no, do the drills. Like, <laughs> yep. so, yeah, that's the reason why. I love in the movie uh, Chariots of Fire. That's the one with Eric Little, right? And the oh yeah. So in the movie Chariots of Fire, when they have the like epic training music sequence, right? Dun, you know, every movie dun. about sports has one of these sequences where there's like mm-hmm. epic training music, and they show the athletes doing their training stuff. And it starts. The epic music is playing, but it starts with a bunch of these track athletes stretching aggressively. <laughs> That's the best way to say it. They're stretching aggressively. I'm like, ah, pull my quad. Um, and I just keep thinking, oh, that's definitely not what people do anymore um, because we, we've learned better. Now, here's the thing. You do need to elongate tissues sometimes. And the best way to do it is not that static stretching. The best way to do it is active mobility, active flexibility types of stretching, which is Phil Wharton's stuff. He's the expert on that. There's a lot of people who do stuff about that, but go to the source, man. Go to Phil Wharton's work and learn about active, isolated flexibility. And if you're out running or driving right now, don't worry about like writing this stuff we down. Are link we are going to all of stuff. it. Yes. Yep. So uh, this is book number three, by the way. Jim and Phil Wharton uh, published uh, kind of the summation of their flexibility stuff in a book called the Wharton's stretch book. And it's literally just a book of stretches, like the whole book for your entire body. It's amazing. Yeah. And this is active stretching. Yes. And so that's the key. If you need any kind of elongation of tissues, that's the kind of stuff you can do every day. And the reason why it works is because you're not actively creating the stretch reflex, which right. is where the damage starts to occur in your tissues. What episode did we talk about that? I don't remember what episode it is. Well, I was we'll just trying to think it about it. We'll it find too. it and link to it. All right. So uh, that's your. those are your three types. Oh, I didn't mention. Obviously for fascia problems, you need fascial release. That's the key there. So that's what like foam rolling. The reason why people recommend foam rolling as a great daily maintenance thing before running is because if you happen to have some fascial congestion somewhere, some light foam rolling almost always helps to break that up enough so that it can move fluidly more. And that resets the fascial path with your Mm -hmm. muscles. And I'd love for there to be more studies done because I feel yeah. that most every elite athlete or sub-elite or just a serious athlete does foam roll, but there isn't a lot of studies done to show its helpfulness, but it makes sense that it's helpful based on what it's doing physiologically. Absolutely. And it's really important to remember why is your fascia getting all bound up like that? And and it's because you did something that broke it up. So like some kind of hard run, hard workout, anything like that, that broke it up. And then when it healed back together, which it does very quickly, your fascia is very uh, resilient. And so when it healed back up, it did so improperly. It was out of path, out of alignment with your muscles. And that's where that, that binding sensation comes from, mm-hmm. the tightness. And Zach told me, because I didn't know, when I started foam rolling a few years ago, I don't know how many years ago, time has escaped me, but 
it hurt like so bad. I was oh, crying. Yeah. <laughs> like every single time I would roll. And exactly, I remember him saying like, it shouldn't be that bad. Like eventually it won't be that bad. Right. Because you've got to break up so much junk first. So if you are feeling that way now, just know that someday it won't be so bad. And keep doing it. Now, remember how I mentioned it matters when you start doing some of these things. Don't start foam rolling for the first time the day before a race. Like everyone always yeah. talks about foam rolling and you're getting ready for a big race and you're like, I'm going to get a new foam roller and foam roll the night before the race. Don't do it. Well, maybe lately. <laughs> yeah, maybe just a little bit. But here's the thing. When you do the foam rolling, it breaks up some tissues, which releases potentially some acids, you know, lactic acids, some waste products and such. And at the very least, by breaking up tissues, you're causing a recovery response. And so if you're racing the next morning, they might not be fully recovered by then. And now you've got, you know, unresponsive tissues. So if you do it like lightly just to get the blood flow to those areas that you might be feeling, you know. Sure, sure. Needing to stretch in a dynamic way. Yes. Yeah. That, that's where the active isolated flexibility stuff comes in, where you can do that the day before a race for sure. Just don't you know do it for too long. It's kind of the idea. So um, with that fascia stuff, by the way, I, I, I wanted to just quickly mention um, one of the best ways you can avoid that happening. So if you do a hard workout and you're thinking, oh man, my fascia's got all ripped up and now it's going to heal back in crummy, crumbly ways. Because that's exactly what you're thinking every time you run a hard workout. Really? Yes, Andy. Maybe you do. Everyone is thinking about their fascia. Um, <laughs> so I haven't, I haven't even tried to explain what fascia tissue actually is either. I'm not even going to go into that. Look it up. Google it. It's it's something that's related we'll to your muscles. It. Yep. Um, so what what's the best way you can avoid that happening or at least reduce it is after your hard workout, especially right after and several hours later. So both of them matter. Do some active isolated flexibility across all your major muscle groups. And what's that? what that is going to do is it's going to help the tissues realign a little bit. So do it right after the workout. And then about four or five hours later, if you can, do it again. And then when it starts recovering, instead of recovering in crummy ways, it's going to help kind of realign it again when you do that active isolated flexibility without delaying the recovery period. Now, I should say it does delay it a little bit when you do that, but it's worth the little bit of delay if it means it aligns correctly, because I'm assuming you're not running a hard workout on Wednesday and then another hard workout on Thursday. So you should be fine if you're doing a recovery period there. All right. That... That is your general understanding of strength and mobility. And I just really liked um, in Runner's Fix, just to kind of close it out there, uh, the line of explanation for this flexibility stuff is uh, flexibility as kind of like an essential definition from Mike Swinger is the ability to lengthen your muscle under load and return it to normal length. So that's where the active piece is really important. That's where the functional movement work when you're strengthening something, motion path matters because you're trying to actively lengthen and shorten your muscle throughout the entire motion path. So there you go. Thanks, some great wisdom from some smarter people than us. All right. Now, having talked about all of those things, I think the best way to make this, to solidify it for you, make it practical, is to just give you a couple examples of, you know, recommending formats for how to approach this. Andy said the time thing matters. So I always do a daily, weekly approach. And as we work with a number of athletes, uh, one of the things we're always willing to do, not everyone asks us to, we write training plans. Certainly, we also are happy to create strength and mobility plans as well. And the daily, weekly thing 
is the most helpful way for me to approach it. Which What this means is daily, I have a routine that I try to abide by every day. It's the same routine in terms of the amount of time and when I'm doing things. So it's first 10 to 15 minutes in the morning, first thing when you wake up. And if you're going to run right after that, if you're going to run right when you wake up, that's fine. Your 10 to 15 minute morning routine is your warm up routine for your run as well. And that's great. And then you have a before run and an after run routine that are varying lengths depending on the day of the week because that's the weekly part, but there's always something you're doing before and after every run. And it can be five to 10 minutes. It does not have to be incredibly long. And then every day before you go to bed, another 10 to 15 minutes. And here's what we're doing. Full disclosure. I don't do this. <laughs> so we'll, we'll come back I, to that. Well, I, I have started to do the morning routine and I do a before run routine every time. Post run routines are just so difficult. And I think I have confessed Andy's before. phone is the constant... <laughs> No, it's my children. It's not my of, phone. It's well, my- yeah, but in reality, the the reason that you know it's we're distracted. It's whatever the distraction is, we're distracted. We need to stay focused for at least a few more minutes. Yeah, it's really hard when you have kids crying, yeah. hanging on you, poopy diapers. A husband asking you to make dinner while he lounges on the couch. <laughs> make me food. That's me. I was talking about me there. Ha ha. All right, so. Yeah, we'll we'll come back to that because we're not perfect in these areas. But if we were, this is what we would do. <laughs> uh, we do 10 to 15 minutes in the morning of some muscle activation, some coordination stuff, especially addressing some of those essential areas of weakness that I have. It's very important to start the day with some of those things. So if I have that shin problem, I include in my morning routine some foot and ankle work. And if I've got some back problems, I include some posterior chain work, all of that kind of stuff. Now, in general, for all of us, I think it's a good idea to include posterior chain activation first thing in the morning because it actually helps with posture for the whole day if you start that way that's important mm-hmm. uh, but also that's kind of the that's the line of muscle activation that matters the most in terms of your running form is how your posterior chain is firing so we want to activate that wake it up right away and then you know it's good to do some core stuff so that your core stability is activated as well it's good to do a little foot and ankle you get the point spend 10 to 15 minutes when you wake up doing some general strength and and activation types of things not as worried about mobility yet Um, but if you want to include then in your before running routine, five or 10 minutes here, a little bit of mobility work then helps active flexibility types of stuff. But Jay Johnson, who's a wonderful source on exercise routines, core routines, all that kind of stuff. He's got tons of it and it's great. Um, So he says at the very least, bare minimum, everyone before running should do a lunge matrix, which he designed. Of course, he's going to say do the thing he designed, but it's it's really good. I've been doing it for years because it is really good. And it Actually, I feel way looser. Yes. It's a dynamic stretch. It's a dynamic stretch plus muscle activation plus strengthening all Mm -hmm. in one three minute. I'm not kidding you. It should take you under three minutes to do. So if you're crunched for time, that's the one. Yep. That's the one. So do the lunge matrix. We're going to include a link to that because it's a short video. It's easy to learn it. And it's the same five motions every single time. And then he says do leg swings after that. Lunge matrix, leg swings, and then you can feel free to go for your run. However, it's best to do a little bit more than that too if you need some more specifically targeted things. So zombie drills, zombie drill. Yeah, do some uh, some uh, Dave Hodgkinson's uh, foot activation drills. We'll include a link to some of his videos there too, because um, that's another one that's been really helpful. And in general, do a five to ten minutes before your run, and then another five to ten minutes or 
maybe a little more depending on the day after your run. And that's the time, especially to work on some, some higher level strength types of things like power in your stride, power in your foot and ankle push off and your posterior chain reaction and some of those things. So we're doing like fast leg drills aggressively after the run. We're doing squats and squat jumps. We're doing um, lunge jumps, you know, the kinds of things that remember Jay Dickery's functional movement thing matters. So we're doing that kind of work a lot of times after runs. And then the last one is at night. So I, I, try to do this every day and I simply don't. It just does not happen. Um, but I really wish that I would because I even sleep better when I do. But I try to do 10 to 15 minutes of a full range of active isolated flexibility. Phil Wharton stuff. I start with like my hips and back and work my way down to my foot and ankle. And I just, as soon as I'm done doing it and I don't do it for very long, 10 to 15 minutes. As soon as I'm done, I feel better. Like everything moves better. And I mentioned like your fascia is going to recover more appropriately, more properly. If you do something like that before bed, because then when you're sleeping, that's when the majority of your muscle rebuilding is happening anyways, you know, HGH release and all of that happens when you're sleeping. So do something before bed to help mobilize, especially like realigning things. That's where that active isolated flexibility is the best. So you mean instead of eating my third no, brownie and coffee i should eat be that doing. third brownie because <laughs> it's very important <laughs> yeah so do that and then that what did i just say i just said an hour's worth of strength and mobility work every day it's a lot it's a lot but if you break it up into four different segments and potentially you know it, maybe it's more like 50 minutes or something but like that that makes a huge difference. And if you can't manage 15 minutes before you go to bed, do five. If you can't manage 15 minutes when you wake up in the morning, do five. And think of three exercises that are very important for you because of weaknesses you have and other kinds of things and do those three exercises first thing when you wake up and then start your day. Like that's not hard. But wow. we've got to make it a habit. <laughs> we've got yes. to make it part of the discipline. So that's the, that's how I want to kind of close out the conversation, Andy. Uh, first, what's the biggest challenge? for you. My biggest challenge is that it feels kind of big. Like I have a lot of different weaknesses that I've needed to address. It's been hard. I feel like I'm just, I have my head above water just trying to make sure that my, my labrum tears don't flare up again. You know, that's kind of where I've been in survival mode. And so to think of doing anything more is difficult to me. So mm-hmm. I think my biggest challenge is that I don't have a plan that it seems manageable. So I think for me, like moving forward, having this conversation, it's five minutes for me. It's yeah. five minutes wake when I wake up, five minutes when I, you know, go to bed. And then I, I do do my pre-run routine every day. Yeah. So I, and then post-run to try not to be so distracted. And I was thinking about this today, actually, that I might need to just remove myself from like the house if Zach is able to be there uh, and just just remove myself to be in a different place be like out in the yard or something where my kids aren't because it's so hard for me to stay focused yeah yeah that's a great idea stay on the deck go straight to the basement once it's clean <laughs> yeah I agree so uh, that's that's it for me you know for me the biggest challenge is that I make the routines too complex. That is true. So when I create my habit, and I do this really well, I start a habit really well, um, but I make them too complex. And then one, I can't remember what I'm trying to do. So I have to like look at my phone or at a sheet of paper where I wrote it down. 
and it's just too convoluted. And then two, it takes too long then because by the time I'm done, my 15 minute routine is actually more 30 minutes if I'm actually doing the whole thing. And that's just too much. Yes, it is. You need to simplify. This mama needs some help. <laughs> yeah. And the of course, the last question is what helps us be the most successful in these things. So we just gave a couple of tips there. You know, remove yourself from your distractions as much as possible for a few minutes if you can afford it. And certainly for me, keep it simple, mm-hmm. keep it basic. Andy, what's what's your final thought? If a PT has given you exercises, do those first. Maybe the final thought is go talk to your PT <laughs> before you start all of this. Um, if you don't have a physical therapist, find one who's willing to just at least get on the phone with you for a few minutes and just talk about here's what I feel like when I'm running and start the conversation. You're going to need to see someone if you really want the benefit of it. Adam Homolka is always happy to get this conversation started with you. Call him up at endurance rehab. I know Mike Swinger said the same thing. So, you know, if if you can't schedule something, yeah, if you can't schedule something in the West Michigan area, but you're up North. uh, But you know, these guys are, just a couple of the many across the world that so if you're not around here and you still need to see somebody find somebody to call mm-hmm. makes a big difference and with that of course we as we often mention uh we are working with athletes on many levels trying to help implement these kinds of training ideas and we do some coaching and some training plans and all of that and as i said we also work on strength and mobility types of things So if you feel like you need more help than you're able to find on your own with that or you just want another perspective or someone to help kind of design a plan for you, we're happy to do that. Or at the very least, just send some questions and thoughts and concerns and we can always respond with some emails or some notes in social media. Or Andy, how do people communicate in social media? Does that work? Does that happen? Yeah, so get a conversation going on Instagram. We're at A to Z running. Facebook at A to Z running, Twitter at A to Z running, and now we are on Pinterest. But I don't think a lot of communication happens there. You could just repin our stuff, which would be fabulous. Andy would be so excited if you did that. Hey, don't forget, you need to be a subscriber to A to Z running.com, which is free, which just means we send you a weekly email with some of the latest content as well as those discount codes for races. If you and want the codes, now. you have to be a subscriber. We don't post them anywhere on our site. And And when we release the Running Foundations Guide, the formal release, which is going to happen after the third episode lands, the third part, that will only be available for a limited time for free to subscribers. Yeah. Everybody else has got to pay us money if they want it, (laughs) but you can get it free. A to Z running.com. Look at the top where it says follow or a to Z running.com slash subscribe. And thank you all for listening. I haven't read the reviews out loud on the A to Z running podcast that you've given to us. And I just want to say thank you. I've read them, you know, and felt them and see you. So I thank you for that because that does help other people find us. So if you do ever have time and you want to rate and, and subscribe to our podcast, give us a a note or two that'd be great and with that stay tuned for part three next week